Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Stephen Marsh. Hey, hey, Jesse. Novelist and Esquire columnist, finally on CanadaLand Shortcuts. Welcome. Have I never been on here before? Never been on the show. Not even in the first days? No. I remember you telling me about it when we were kids, like three years ago. I remember your many rejections. The crazy thing is, I thought you'd run out of ideas to talk about, which I could not have been more wrong. Stephen, today we're going to talk about the CBC, their new comment policy, and all that money they just got, and what they're going to do with it. We're going to talk about Rob Ford and his enduring legacy and impact on our country and our media. And we're going to talk about some other important heavy things, and we probably do not have time. It probably doesn't merit a segment on the show to talk about your Donald Trump tweet. And the vicious backlash that it elicited. But if you're at home, nothing's to stop you from checking it out. Stephen, welcome to Shortcuts. Great to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Daphna Strauss, Johnny LaRusic, Chris Michael, Sarah Green, Sandy Garasino, Stephanie Astrid Moore, Brendan Spearin, and Arissa Cox. Arissa, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land is refreshingly witty, crazy smart, and most importantly, unafraid. Media creators need to be held accountable. Who else is going to do it? This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsor, 
FreshBooks. Stephen, you are a you've been a freelance writer, I, yeah. I guess, a sole proprietor of your own self-employed business for your entire career, I guess. Well, yeah. since I came back to Toronto eight years ago, how eight, do you do your in, how do you do your invoicing? It's actually pretty pathetic. I have like a black book and a red book, and I I really actually should use FreshBooks. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, there is a better way. Yeah, I really do need it actually. It is the friend of the freelancer. It is essentially like your accounting department, and it makes you look a lot better. And they found that it gets you paid quicker. Right. And it's super easy to use. It's for people who don't want to spend time doing their books, doing their accounting. You can do it from anywhere with their mobile app. Steven, check it out. I'm going to. I really am. You'll look more professional. You will save boatloads of time. It goes with you anywhere. There's award-winning customer service. Go right now to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. You can try it out for free for 30 days. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Stephen, talking about what we're going to talk about today, things like what the CBC is going to do with their money, and even talking about Rob Ford, yeah, it feels trivial compared to what's been going on in the world with, of course, what happened in Brussels. And even it feels like today when people are listening to the show is when the Gameshi verdict is coming out. So we're not going to talk about either of those things really in depth today. And I, okay. just, I just wanted to like, touch on it briefly. I don't have some sort of like meta critique of how the Canadian media covered the terrorist attacks in Brussels. Like I'm still reeling from the news. Yeah. I don't have that detachment from it yet. And and to me, it just didn't seem like that's necessarily even an angle that I'm aware of yet. Anyhow, it seemed like they were just doing their best as the information came in. We'll have a look at it in days to come. I found with this round, and I think it's horrible, but this was the round of terrorist attacks where I wasn't shocked. 
where I even had to keep reminding myself that it was happening. Yeah. That's how terrible things are. We now have like a file for the same way when there's a school shooting. You're like, oh yeah, it's one of those, like, that just happens now. You forget about it. For, like it, yeah. it happens, you read about it, you tell your wife it's horrible. Then half an hour later, you're checking the basketball scores. I mean, I think the meta critique is there is no meta critique because the storyline has a sort of natural arc to it, as horrible as that is. And when these things take on a recognizable pattern, they become so much easier to ignore. And they also become like, you just expect them. Yeah. It's actually interesting what that means for terrorism, since the point of terrorism is not really the violence, but the shock of the violence and the meaning of the violence. I can only speak for myself, but it seems to be fading. Well, there's an interesting conversation that suggests about the point of terrorism as we always project it versus the actual, you know, we always kind of want to understand it as almost like PR by way of violence. Yeah, that's um, right. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, I think. I think that maybe there's a more nuanced understanding of it than- Possibly, yeah. You know? So the second thing we're not going to talk about today is yeah. uh, later on the day that everyone's listening to this, everyone's going to hear the Gameshi verdict. And, you know, I'm expecting him to not be convicted. That was my expectation when the charges were laid. So my attention is not really on that as much as it will be on how the media responds. And my thoughts on how the media- covered the trial itself. Uh, I've gone over exhaustively on the yeah. show and all the problems there. I'm on high alert around this, both because of the way that I felt the media fell down during the trial and because like just a few days ago, Canadian press put out a wire story that was in the National Post where they interviewed a bunch of like PR consultants and publicists on this burning question. Can he rehabilitate his public image and have a career? Should right. he Should he get off of these charges? There's, of course, another trial coming up. And this was the first time in the press where I saw the I word used in the Gameshi, innocent. It was used speculatively and hypothetically, all these PR flags saying, well, if he's found innocent, then he can build his new career based on his innocence. But that's nonsense. It is, but I'm just very sensitive to just getting that word next to his name. Well, even he won't go on the stand and use that word. Well, everyone, acquittal is not innocence. We know that. That's right. That's not to say that the law has no place here because, of course, it obviously does. But the thing you have to remember is that Gian Gameshi as a media brand was about selling political correctness and the righteousness that Toronto loves to bathe itself in. And, of course, this has totally destroyed that completely. So there's no, there's absolutely no way that he's coming back into media. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, not that that matters. Yeah. I mean, what matters is justice. All right, those are the two things we're not going to talk about today. Law professor Michel Doucette has complained about the comments on our website before, but this time he decided to do more. So he drafted a letter to CBC management and uh, let it be known he was doing it. And he had more than 100 prominent francophones sign the letter. Um, The letter is not calling for the censorship of all comments that oppose bilingualism, but it says that the, uh, the comments are hateful and contemptuous. And that they should, there should be better filtering so that some of these vehement comments don't get through. So, Stephen, the CBC comments now, they're going to require everybody on their comment sections to have real names. That's actually a very tricky technical hurdle. And it brings up for me questions around there is value to some anonymous speech. And there are all kinds of instances where people don't want to use their real names for very valid purposes. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who use anonymity as a cover for saying awful things. And I, I see the pickle there. What do you think the percentage is? I don't know. I've just been on Reddit doing a piece for The Guardian on the red pill. Yeah. So it seems to me like anonymous speech, you know, if we could live without it, I would be totally fine with that. Well, I think that anonymous speech is toxic and awful until it's great, until somebody needs anonymity to make a claim that they wouldn't be able to make. It's not really something that you well, these are in not terms. dissidents. These are people saying. Well, not the ones you just cited. No. 
No, that's right. And neither would the ones on the CBC website be, right? No, that's not necessarily true. People in the comment section regularly tell you newsworthy things and share information that you need to have. And uh, What story have you learned about through a comment section that you didn't know about it otherwise? I can't say anything right now, but I can tell you that I regularly get leads to stories, leads to guests, leads to further information in the comments to the stuff that we publish when we publish, because we don't have comments on our site, but when we publish to Facebook and people leave comments, I often find stuff that becomes editorially useful to me. And I have no idea whether those people are using their real names or not. Right. Okay. This is something that, that sparked a lot of controversy years ago when Google tried to enforce a real names policy. Mm-hmm. And there was, the, they call it the NIM wars. There's all kinds of issues where people want to be online under a different gender or they're espousing politics that could get them fired at work. There's kids who are in the closet using uh, fake names to right. explore the world. There's all kinds of instances where people don't want to use their real names. And I guess if that's you, the CBC is saying go somewhere else. Right. So well, for, do you, do you, you think know, the CBC needs to serve those people? I guess it's, it's a question for CBC in a digital era. To what extent is it the CBC's job to provide a common space for conversation right. about their content? Yeah. Is that part of their new mandate as they move into becoming a digital service? Right. That yeah. sounds like that's pretty consistent with what their mandate is. Yeah. But uh, So you disapprove of this? You do approve of it. You can't tell. You know what? I think it's impossible is the main thing. I think that they're biting off something that I think is going to be impossible. And I'm also on guard for like, are they going to use a lot of places use Facebook for their comments? Mm. And that's another issue. If they're now going to like be dependent on some third party like that and all the information that's collected to somebody else, we're getting into kind of wonky privacy policy stuff, but it does affect to whatever extent we're looking to this to be the town square. Right. But we all have a town square now. It's called the internet, I guess, right? I guess so. And I mean, you can just put a CBC story on Facebook and then have anonymous comments there, right? Or not anonymous, but you could have a whole comment page there. Or you could put it on Reddit and do the same thing. Yeah. There's a larger issue here where people are worried that the rough and tumble days of the internet is like a real rebirth of free speech or disappearing. And we're oh my God, mo- that's been gone for like a long time. We're right? moving to like a shopping mall where everybody's going to like, first of all, be carrying their papers yeah. and all of your information is going to a private company and it's all linked to your actual identity and privacy is dead. And, you know, it, and CBC is like the biggest website in Canada by some metrics. So, you know, it's not insignificant that they're doing this. To me, the utopian internet idea is like very wired 1998. Yeah, but most magazine. of it came to pass. No, it didn't. I mean, it did become real. It just didn't become utopian. The bigger question with CBC is what are they going to do with all the money? And uh, they have just given us today their first indication through an internal memo that, yeah. that was you know instantly sent to us. And we've been talking about on the show for a while now, yeah. like they've completely hobbled their news organization capabilities. I actually have some funny stories about it. All right. Well, let me, let me say what they said and then I want to hear your story. So basically they've made very little commitment to rebuilding their news. They said that they're going to uh, strengthen their transformation to the digital environment, reinvest in key areas, create more original programming so we can reduce the number of repeats on our schedules. So that's a very linear broadcasting. uh, Like it seems at odds with the whole digital thing. Uh, signature events like the Olympics and the 150th anniversary of Confederation, blah, 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 blah. The only thing they say about reinstating any kind of news coverage is that they're going to strengthen regional coverage, which I got very excited to read. And then it's like, wah, wah, a digital presence in select local markets that don't have CBC Radio, Radio Canada service. So for a while, people have been saying they should be setting up these little digital bureaus in all the small communities where newspapers are dying. It seems like they're going to do that on some select experimental basis. And then there's, we would like to enhance our international coverage. So very little lip service being paid to news. I think they probably don't know, right? I mean, the news just came in. No, no, no. They've had a long time to get used to this. I will say that like the 
I'm not a CBCer. Like I go in there regularly. I'm there Wednesday mornings on Q, and I go in on the Sunday panel sometimes for the national. So take my remarks in that context. Like they were being starved to death. Like the money that they are getting back now is going to allow them to eat. Except for the people who lost their jobs. Well, I think that was all a part of it, right? I mean, I remember one week I was in there and literally all the um, water coolers were gone. That was the level of cost cutting they were at. There's no question. It was, I it mean, was beyond bone. They, there they was were cutting some, off limbs. Somebody would, yeah, that's right. I think the Canadian public had a sense like, oh, they can always shave a little more. But like they were cutting right into the bone. I remember one thing happened when I was there, which was there was a goodbye party for somebody. And they had a bring your own tea bag party. So like they provided the hot water, oh, no. but the employees who were saying goodbye had to bring their own tea bags. That's so, so they, sad that I'm not going to make a tea bag. I know. I was just like, wow. So the cost cutting, I think, was really deeply affecting the ability to do basic things like have going away parties with tea at it. And so, you know, a huge chunk of this money is just going to be like restoring a basic sense of sanity to that building and that company. Well, I think that the question throughout all of this was that they kept getting pushed and pushed to a point where everyone was wondering, like, are you going to cut off a limb? Will it be yes. TV? Will it be music? Will it be sitcoms? See, like, if they're just trying to do everything that they do with less money, more money, then that's the situation that they've chosen. Yeah. There was an opportunity there to say, okay, we are going to lose something. So instead, they kind of suffered through the lean times, and now the money's back. And when, when the dust settles... What's gone, they're still doing sitcoms, they're still doing reality shows, they're still doing music streaming, they're still going to do these huge banner Olympics and, and the yeah. 150th centennial, they're still going to do all those things. And all that's going to be missing is like, oh, all those bureaus and all those reporters, like gone. that's all gone. And the union's not happy with them because I kind of see where the CBC is coming from. Like, let's not recreate some of those unionized jobs where people were not really contributing that much and getting paid at the height of what a person could get paid there. It was a chance to shake up some of that stuff, but they're not reinvesting in news. And, and the biggest complaint I have about all of this is there was no public consultation. Well, I think because public consultations are just a shit show that nobody ever wants to be involved in. What kind of like month long idiot stage would it be if you invited ordinary Canadians to say, what do you want the CBC to be? Awful. Could not be worse. That's like, that's like literally the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah. For a public broadcaster to ask the public. Yeah, of course. You know who makes good news? People who actually know what they're doing, yeah. not some random guy. They actually don't know what they're talking about. That's the key thing you have to remember at the public. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, what I would like, honestly, like the Canada Council is actually a really good case, right? Because Canada Council is also getting this huge amount of money uh -huh. into it. So the Cana there was the literary plan that was taken, I think it was two years ago. You get all these people in from various aspects of the literary community, one of the greatest fraud phrases ever uttered, literary community, like as if that such a thing existed. Yeah. And you get them to say what they think should happen with the future of Canadian culture. And of course, what they say is, me. Give me a grant. I would like more money. Yeah. I, what I need is stuff for performing artists in Saskatchewan. I happen to be a performing artist from Saskatchewan, but we actually have a moment here where our culture industries are in limbo. We don't have a plan for what we want. Canadian. And you don't want us to, to ask anybody about how to make- No, we should have a plan, but it should be formulated by total elites. 
<laughs> like myself. Like, like you. Yeah. Right. You like, should be the one yeah. who's asked. I should be the one who should This decide. is the problem, Stephen. Is yes. the, it's not just the CBC. There's this huge reinvestment in all of these arts organizations. No. And I support investing in the arts. Me too. But nobody- Has a plan. N- not only do they not have a plan, there is no recognition that just about every one of these institutions that's getting all this new money has not been really spending their money very well. And that they haven't really been producing what they're supposed to be producing. So without- Well, any, what, the question is, what are they supposed map, to produce? Because here's the well, thing. Well, let's get clear on that. That's Even the if thing. it was just that. Even if it was just like- we are about getting people engaged with the high arts and that's our mission. Or we're about making great stuff that critics love and that wins awards. If that's what you're about. No, we're about industries that make money and that are, are going to have the largest amount of people consuming this content. Whatever, if, if it's commerce, if it's excellence, there's all kinds of philosophies of how arts funding should be applied. Yeah. But they don't have any- But I think it's even deeper than Consistency that. or vision about I think that. it's even deeper than that. Or accountability. Trudeau himself has described us as a post-nationalist country, right? So what does a post-nationalist culture look like? You know, when Sheila Kopp said Canadian culture is about telling Canadians Canadian stories and that this is some kind of nation-building practice- That is actually a goal. You can go towards that. And I think that project is dead. The idea that people are writing novels to define Canadianness, no. If the point is that there was some era of mass media where every story that you encountered was an American story, that is over. If you go onto YouTube, if you go onto the internet, if you go onto Twitter, Canadians are expressing themselves and telling their own stories. Your access to that as a young person in this Canada, if somebody's coming up and and like, oh, the problem they were trying to solve back in the 60s, that problem is solved. But see, my point here is that it's very easy to say like, you know, the answer to every question in culture is like, oh, in Canada is the bureaucrats are doing it wrong. At some point you have to say, okay, well, actually they're responding to a reality. Canada Council will do something and then everyone will hate what they've done. Like everyone will have some reason to hate what they've done. And that's really wrong. Like what we actually need is to figure out, and you know, 150th anniversary is not a bad time to do it. Like what is the point of a Canadian national culture? To give Stephen Marsh grants. Well, no, I, no but you, the I, thing I, is actually yeah. the honest truth is like, I don't think artists actually want grants. What artists want are markets. What they want are for there to be huge, expansive yeah. markets of Canadian readers who will buy huge amounts of Canadian novels. Wouldn't it be great if everybody looking for a telefilm grant had their sights not on a telefilm grant or telefilm funding, but if it were true that one out of every three Canadian-made movies was bought by Netflix. Exactly. And could reach a global audience. Yeah. You know, the other thing is, if it's not market-based, like, what are we producing? Like, are we producing culture that just sits in a room? That, like, is in, on a shelf somewhere? Yes, we are. That's not healthy. And what happens then is you have Canadian culture inherently becomes stuff that isn't consumed. And that is As it has been, as it will be. This debate is only happening in this little studio here. Like, it's done. Like, what is it? A half a billion dollars more, I think, is going back into the arts. And we're just, there is no public conversation like this. It's just not, and it's not tied to the funding. And those organizations aren't having this conversation. I actually don't think it's the responsibility of the Canada Council to have that conversation. I think it's actually the responsibility of the artists and the people in the culture industry to have it, really. I think that- And to stop blaming the government you, for problems. You know who I want right? to see like get it's vocal? it's just ridiculous. The voices that we hear when it comes to arts funding are people who like don't want it. Those are the people who we hear. Yeah. You know, I want to hear the people who do want it 
actually claim it and say what they want from it. Yeah. You know, it is a good way to invest in the economy. Like that's been established, but no, it really has been. Like there are, there are a series of studies that show that it creates more jobs. It, it is a very good way to invest in the economy. You create boondoggles. You create little like make-believe film industries that are sort of like a film industry that are sort of, it's sort of a video game industry. We provide cheap labor. To, I, 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 I'm going to get a lot of hell for this because there's some real companies doing real yes, things. Yes, of course. And there but, really are. Uh, I think it's actually demoralizing to this case of national identity and nationhood when we have some rinky-dink Mickey Mouse lesser version of a cultural sector when it's obvious that the people here are able to yeah, play in the majors. That's right. You know? Well, and then what happens is people just decide to go play in the majors. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what that's what happens over and I mean, how many how many friends have we had that happen to? Dozens and dozens and dozens. Dozens of friends gone. Breaking news from Toronto this morning. We have just learned that Toronto Mayor, former Mayor Rob Ford, has died. Rob Ford was a political phenomenon the like of which this city, this country, had never seen. And while his term had its missteps, <laughs> nothing prepared the city for the crack video scandal. That is the butt of the joke that many people in Canada know. But it's also important to, to point out that Rob Ford had a very loyal following. There are many people who loved Rob Ford and many people who said before he was mayor, he was a great city councillor. Rob Ford died an accidental prophet. Yeah, that's what I wrote in Esquire. That's what you wrote in Esquire? Yeah. I actually think I was kind of underrating his power, actually. You know, because I was talking to an American audience, so I didn't talk about how much he changed Toronto, but he totally changed Toronto. But he died an accidental prophet. Well, yeah, he reinvented a political playbook that we're seeing played out in America right now. You know you're going to get made fun of when you write that Rob Ford died an accidental prophet. I didn't get made fun of at all. Are you kidding me? That piece went super viral and uh, everyone loved it. How did he die an accidental prophet? He stumbled on something. He stumbled on a very small political discovery, which has massive implications, which is that Ordinary voters have such contempt for political elites that they'll take craziness as authenticity. What he discovered is that don't be ashamed. Don't say, I'm sorry, I apologize, I step away from my job. Instead say, it's just everyone's out to get me. The media hates you. And people find themselves reflected in that. He was a strange combination of comedy, pure rage, and celebrity culture. There was really no one like him before that you know, has become a very, very powerful strain of politics in America right now. Yeah, I guess calling him a prophet suggests some intentionality on his part, which, no, may, I which do maybe say, is not wrong. No, I do say, that's why it's accidental. Like, accidental. See? Yeah. No, right. I, I, it happened by accident, but I'm actually asking this genuinely. Did he recognize no, I, what I, he was doing? No, I don't think he had any... There were moments, like the day he won, and I believe he hadn't given CBC an interview throughout the entire campaign. He shows up on As It Happens. Do you remember this? And he's like oh, coaching yeah. a football practice yeah. during the interview. Oh, that was awesome. And he's speaking to Carol Off. Yeah. And she sounds very like, Mayor Ford, all of the things you've done. And he is totally distracted <laughs> and is just giving her the finger throughout. And he's yelling instructions to the football players. And then he hangs up on her. It was a victory lap fuck you. Yeah. And I felt like all the chaos around this guy is there some kind of savant genius to, well, that's, to the way I mean, that he's handling the media? Well, definitely. A genius would be the wrong term because he was operating by instinct. Yeah. But like, for example, when he left City Hall, you remember he was just leaving City Hall every day in a massive media scrum where they would, sometimes he would literally walk into the cameras by accident, like it was so packed. And many people have pointed out there are about 12 ways to leave the mayor's office at City Hall without getting anywhere near a camera. Yeah. That was a conscious decision to go through this scrum. And it created this sense of him as 
alone against this media onslaught. That was a conscious decision. But I do think it was mostly instinctive. Because when he got into power, he really didn't have much to do with it. He really didn't know what to do with power. His death has brought this kind of moment that I feel is just like all of a sudden the same media that was just whipped up into a frenzy around this guy and delighted in, I mean, you know, portraying the the truth of him, that he was an absolute clown and a danger. All of a sudden, these dignified photographs. That's amazing, right? Right? And he's looking off in the <laughs> distance, and there's, his face is bathed in either light or gloomy shadow, and the headlight, Rob Ford, a life. Yeah. I didn't believe a shred of the tone, you know, of the, of the dignity that they were trying to kind of present. Well, and they, it was just like, what beyond the fact that a person died merits you to do a complete turnaround on the way well, that Also, you- frankly, like, if you didn't pity the guy before- why would you pity him? Now? I mean, he was totally pitiful before. Like, I genuinely felt a human sense of this is a terrible thing that's happening to this guy while all the scandals were happening, right? Like, he was an addict, and we all sort of felt that human pull, but it didn't change anything. I mean, he's the mayor, and he's running around talking about how he gets more than enough to eat at home. Yeah. Like, there are certain things that human fellow feeling can't overcome. The other thing about the news coverage, the obits were just like, well, on the one hand, he did this and this and he touched a nerve. On the other hand, he had some personal Oh, that's problems. amazing. And I'm like, wait, is that really the point here? Like, I kind of yeah. feel like the relevance of this guy is like epic and undying. I agree with you, I think, Stephen. I think that this yeah, is sort of- Yeah, I'm right. Like, <laughs> I think that he's like kind of a defined, like forget Trudeau for a second. Like there was this moment where Canada was Rob Ford on Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Harper was the prime minister. And all of the assumptions we make about ourselves- we're just being trashed. I mean, the reason there are like 100,000 bearded guys like Kevin out here. Uh, You're pointing at our producer, Kevin. Out in the streets who are rabidly pro-bicycle, like take being on a bicycle as a political act of the most profound political identity. Kevin, you're being reduced to some sort of uh, hipster cliche. <laughs> Here's is cliche. accurate? But the reason they exist is Rob Ford. The reason there are... A lot of young people in the city who can tell you all about walking distance between subway lines is because of Rob Ford. What he made clear is that the traditional Toronto politics of not caring, thinking everything will be taken care of by grownups, thinking that it's a rational, civilized place, it'll all be fine, was not going to work anymore. Not only that, but I think it also showed the rest of Canada. You can hate Toronto, it's fine, but Toronto really matters. If you don't take it as a national issue, this is the result. How did it prove that? I mean, we had a train wreck of a mayor and it didn't really make that big a difference. Oh, it was so internationally humiliating, right? I don't buy that. Everyone's like, oh, he humiliated us. He humiliated us on the national stage. I didn't feel humiliated. Well, no, neither did I, but I think... I was in Senegal right after Rob Ford. And certainly the cab drivers in Senegal were like, ah, Toronto, Rob Ford. How did you feel about that? What I felt about it was how weird it was. I was in New York and I was shopping in a store and I was making like pleasant chit chat with the woman at checkout. And she said, where are you from? I said, Toronto. And whereas any other point in my life, it's like saying I'm from Delaware. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Instead, she goes, oh, you got that man. Yeah, right. It was fun. Yeah. No, I agree. It was the most fun time to ever be a Torontonian. It was the most fun time to ever be in the media. Certainly the best, funnest time to ever be in the media. fantastic. Everybody was complaining. He's embarrassing me. I said, you fool, it's never going to be this good ever again. And and it was unified. You'd you'd like him to be mayor right now. Kind of. No, I know. No, it's dangerous. I don't mean to make light of it. And he was like a wreck to himself, it, to his right? family. Yeah. He's driving drunk. There are all kinds of problems. But I was in bars and cafes and everything would stop and people would watch TV together. They'd watch CP24. Like I never felt more like I actually was part of like yes. a common like citizenry. Well, I think, I mean, 
it was funny, but it was also dangerous. Because the other thing is, it really did reveal that this little myth we have of Toronto the good and Toronto everyone being nice, and he totally shattered that. For example, I mean, the thing was, with that picture of him in the crack house with the three guys and him. We don't even have a clear narrative of all that We don't, we, we don't, don't even yeah. know what happened. But one of those guys was shot, two of them were in prison, and he was driving around the city drunk. That was more an indictment yeah. of the Toronto police force than the GA. And that's Canada, right? Yes. That, and that it, the rich it, white guy. It became really, really clear that this was totally illegitimate and unfair and that the police were not doing their jobs. The sacred notion of equality under the law, which frankly, all Canadians believe, like somewhere in the vicinity of 98% of Canadians believe that that is a, f- a, a function of their country, um, was just shattered. I also think his legacy is that he proved that the media is irrelevant. The biggest relevance to him was that as a tool to kind of define himself against, like you don't have to be loved by the media to succeed in Canadian politics. But he politics. didn't succeed. Well, he was elected mayor. He was elected mayor, but that was before the real antagonism with the media. The antagonism with the media started when he was denying that he was smoking crack and they were like, no, 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 you are. Yeah. I mean, I I guess we'll never know. The fact that he didn't get to run again. Jeet wrote a piece that was like, he was a man who didn't get to redeem himself. Yeah. But I actually think the truth is like, we didn't get to redeem ourselves of him. We didn't actually get to reject him. Steven, I know you you hate to go to this kind of think PC grandiose (laughs) place, but you're like a literary criticism guy, literary history guy. You're a Shakespearean scholar. Is there something of like this epic, like Falstaffian? Is there like, is he going to be like some enduring Canadian symbol that is just going to live on? The specifics of his mayoralty are going to disappear and we're just going to all be one nation under Rob Ford. I don't know. I mean, you know, he was such a figure of celebrity culture. And celebrity culture is totally ephemeral. You know, I have a Rob Ford shirt in one of my drunken stupors. I do have a Christmas decoration with Rob Ford's face on it. But I I don't think he will actually have the kind of lasting impact that you might think. I don't think he is iconic, even in the way that more reasonable, more interesting, less interesting people are, right? Like someone like Mulroney or something like that, who will always have a kind of iconic status in Canada of representing a certain thing. So why not? Because it seems like he's much more Well, because I don't think he represents anything. Yeah. What did he stand for? I don't know. What the, did he, the downfall of the democratic process as, as evidenced by Trump, which is, I guess, your argument that you started Well, with. if Trump, yeah, I mean, that's- The Ur-Trump, the Yeah, but even that, we, we don't know the consequences of that yet. If it turns out that Trump becomes president and he becomes the Rob Ford of the world, which could happen, you know, it's certainly far from impossible that that would happen, then Rob Ford will have a different significance. But I, I don't think he, he has the kind of iconic status of major political figures because he wasn't a political figure. He was a pop culture figure. Stephen, thank you. Pleasure. That was your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always. I'm jesse at canadalandshow.com and we are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Stephen, where can people find you? They can find me at, at Stephen Marsh on Twitter. That's M-A-R-C-H-E. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land where I will announce the name and host of our new arts podcast will be up on Monday and the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. This show is produced by Kevin Sexton. If you like what we do, please support us.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.